Well, let's get right into the message because I don't want to um, I don't want to take too long on this, but I want to get through some important points. This is uh, just a message on Thanksgiving. Take a little break from the parables here. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Luke 17. Well, last Thursday, we celebrated Thanksgiving, and I, I love Thanksgiving. It's my favorite holiday. And uh, I don't know, was it just me, or did Thanksgiving kind of sneak up on us this year? I mean, it just seems like it came all of a sudden. It came and went faster than it normally did. I don't know, for me it did. It just... Is it getting older? Okay, I knew that was coming too. <laughs> but doesn't it seem like it It started with the beautiful color change of the leaves and all of a sudden it ended with uh, Black Friday madness? I mean, that was like what it was. It was like, what was Thanksgiving? It just kind of came and went so fast. And now we start our march toward Christmas Day. Well, I want to help us spend just a little bit more time uh, considering Thanksgiving today. And I don't want us to skip over this important holiday. I want to spend a little time thinking about Thanksgiving. <clears throat> a few days before Thanksgiving, a certain Sunday school teacher asked her class if they were what they were thankful for. And one little boy said, well, I'm thankful for my glasses. <clears throat> and when he was asked why he was thankful for his glasses, he said, well, because they keep the boys from fighting me and the girls from kissing me. <laughs> and that may be so, uh, but the truth is we, we need to be thankful to God for everything that He's given us. Everything He's given to us, everything He's done for us, large or small, significant or seemingly insignificant, we, we need to be thankful. And I'm afraid, I'm afraid that for many, as soon as Thanksgiving Day is past, well, so does their thankfulness. And as Christians, we shouldn't depend on a certain day of the year to express our gratitude. We should do it continuously. Well, let's read our text here. It's in uh, Luke 17, starting at verse 11. It says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet, thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? And then he said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. Dear Abby received this letter a few years back from an unhappy 15-year-old girl. Dear Abby, happiness is knowing that your parents won't almost kill you if you come home a little late. Happiness is having your own bedroom. Happiness is having parents that trust you. Happiness is getting the telephone call you've been praying for. Happiness is knowing you're well-dressed as anybody. Happiness is something I don't have. And it was signed 15 and unhappy. 
And then a few days later, Dear Abby, the newspaper column carried this response to the previous letter from a 13-year-old girl. And it said, Dear Abby, happiness, happiness is being able to walk. Happiness is being able to talk. Happiness is being able to see. Happiness is being able to hear. Unhappiness, she said, is reading a letter from a 15-year-old girl who can do all of these things and still says she isn't happy. I can talk, I can see, I can hear, but I can't walk. And the letter was signed, 13 and happy. How many of you today are happy? Many people think they have no reason to be happy. At least they've convinced themselves they have no reason to be happy. And the reason most of us aren't happy is because we've chosen to be ungrateful people. We've chosen that. See, we're a lot like the nine out of the ten lepers found in Luke 17 who, once healed, they didn't return to give thanks to Jesus. Perhaps we can learn some insights from this passage of Scripture that will motivate us to give God thanks for what He's done for us. I just want to walk through this passage and then I'll try to draw three points out of it, but I need some time to to walk through this with you. And I'm going to just go verse by verse here for a little while. Verse 12 says, As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance. Now most of us have heard stories of the horrors of having leprosy in biblical times. It was it was a horrible disease to have, and still is a horrible disease to have. And not only was there the, the pain of the disease itself, but there was also the, the, the stigma that went along with having that certain disease. The Mosaic Law pronounced a leper as being unclean. And they were required by, by law to go around crying out, Unclean! Unclean! So that no one would come close to them. They had to wear torn clothes as a sign of extreme sorrow, and their faces had to be covered. They weren't fit to even enter into the tabernacle or later into the temple to worship. They couldn't even live with their families. The law required them to live outside the city. If you were living in in Bible times and you had leprosy, uh, you couldn't worship with us here today. That would not be allowed. You you couldn't live with your family. You, You would be separated and isolated from everyone you knew and trusted. If you were a leper, you essentially lost everything. Your your family, your job, your money. And verse 12 describes these lepers as standing at a distance. And rabbinic or Jewish tradition said that they had to stand stand at least a hundred paces. A hundred paces from anyone else. They couldn't even come close to Jesus. They couldn't get close to Jesus. The Holman Bible Dictionary says, and I quote, For the Hebrews, it was a dreaded malady which renders the victims ceremonially unclean. That is, unfit to worship God. Anyone who came in contact with a leper was also considered unclean. Therefore, lepers were isolated from the rest of the community so that the members of the community could maintain their status as worshipers. Even houses and garments could have leprosy and thus be unclean. Now the reason I spent a little time describing leprosy today is because it's a picture of sin. 
what Satan wants to do to every single one of us here today. He wants to isolate and destroy you. Leprosy was an internal disease with, a, with an outward and physical, physical kind of, uh, very visible kind of symptoms. And its gradual spread and its ultimate disfigurement of the body, its destruction of the body, little by little, is a great parallel to sin. Great comparison. And the truth is, all of us here today are infected and afflicted by spiritual leprosy. Every one of us. Now here's something to think about in this whole story. This is so important. Realize Jesus did not consider this distinction between clean and unclean valid. He didn't consider that valid. In fact, this is often what got Jesus in trouble with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Jesus taught that a person's outward condition did not determine whether he or she was clean or unclean. Rather, Jesus taught that it was what proceeded from the heart, the inner man, that determines one's standing before God. This is so important. So important, especially in our culture today. The inner man, that determines one's standing before God. And therefore Jesus, he didn't hesitate to to touch lepers. He even commanded his disciples to clean lepers. Now I hope you understand the significance of all of this. It's not the outward physical health that matters, but rather the inner heart health that matters. Many sincere Christians are overly concerned with outward physical health and show very little concern for inner spiritual health. See, from God's perspective, some of the healthiest people in the world are the physically sick, lame, diseased, handicapped, and terminally ill. From God's perspective, some of those people are the healthiest people in the world. And the reason is because they've surrendered their very lives to Jesus. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says this this is the real illness that we should be concerned about. The reason our our sin separates us... uh, The reason is that our sin separates us from a holy God, the God who loves us. Your iniquities have separated you from your God. I just want to make sure our church understands this. And there's people out there who claim to be faith healers. And they'll look at someone with a physical handicap or a physical illness. And right away they think it's their job that they can heal this person. We can make this situation better. That's a bunch of baloney. Because that person could be healthier than they are. Physical appearance does not matter. It is the heart. That matters to God. It is the the heart, the inner man that God is concerned about. And we get all wrapped up about physical appearance and physical health. There are some important similarities between leprosy and sin. Like the leper, we too were isolated from true intimacy. Like the leper, we too were outcasts from the kingdom of God. Like the leper, we too were in the process of losing everything to sin. And like the leper, we too are being destroyed by that which is in our bodies, the law of sin and death. 
And in verse 13 it says that the lepers called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. You've got to notice the lepers cry here. It's so important. That's all they could do is to cry out to Jesus. Help us. Help us. No physician could heal them. No medicine could cure them. They were completely helpless. And it was from that helpless state that Jesus heals them. And see, we we like to think that we're sufficient. We like to think that we're capable of handling life on our own. That we've got it all under control. But the truth is, we're born helpless into this world. And we're helpless as we stand before sin and Satan. And we too, like the lepers, should recognize our helplessness and cry out to Jesus for healing. I'm reminded of James 4, starting at verse 7. It says this, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The first thing it says there is submit yourselves then to God. Submit yourselves to God. It goes on to say, come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he'll lift you up. That's the secret. That's, That's the doorway to healing. The leper's only hope was placed on this man, Jesus. Everything they had came down to this moment, to this encounter with Jesus. And aren't you glad, aren't you glad that when your only hope is placed on Jesus, He will be more than enough. He'll be more than enough. It's only when we're willing to humble ourselves and completely trust Jesus that He heals us. And it's too bad, but for most of us, It's not until all the crutches of life are kicked out from beneath us and we find ourselves laying face down in the dirt of life and from from there all we can do is is look up and yet that's exactly what we needed to do all along. And it's not until we're ready to surrender and to cry out to Jesus for help that that the true healing begins. In verse 14, then it says, When he, Jesus, saw them, he said, Go, show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Jesus had compassion on them. He he told them to go and show themselves to the priests as the law commanded. The priests would inspect them and give them a clean bill of health so that they could rejoin their communities and families. So why then did, did Jesus tell them this? Think about that. Why didn't Jesus just say, be healed? Instead he said, go, show yourselves to the priest. And then it says, as they went, they were cleansed. Why didn't Jesus just say, be healed? He could have. Because faith is always required of the helpless for healing to take place. We've gone through this so many times. There's God's part and our part. Our part is faith. We bring to the table faith. Faith. Naaman, the commander of the king of Aram, had to act in faith in the Old Testament to be cleansed. Second Kings chapter 5. Naaman obeyed the prophet Elijah and washed himself seven times in the Jordan River. 
By faith he was healed. The leper in chapter 8 of Matthew who came to Jesus to be healed actually knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, if you're willing, make me clean. And that's why Jesus healed him, just by the touch of his hand. And then I'm reminded of how the centurion's servant in Matthew 8 who was paralyzed was healed because the centurion, the centurion himself, actually came to Jesus asking for help. And his servant was healed by faith. You see, in each of these cases, faith was demonstrated by action. And once again, let me say, you cannot separate faith and action. It can't be done. Faith and obedience cannot be separated. James says it so well. Faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. It is impossible. That's impossible. And so the ten lepers went by faith, and as they did, they were healed. They heard the word of Jesus. They believed, they obeyed, and they were healed. This was by faith. They were not first healed and then told to go to the priest. They had to act, act on faith. Verse 15 says, Then one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. So one of them returns to Jesus. Just one out of ten of those lepers return. How could just one return to give thanks? I mean, if you were one of the ten lepers, would you have been the one to return and give thanks We like to think we would have been that one. We like to think that. Why did this one leper react differently than all the others? Very interesting here. Verse 15 says, Then one of them, when he saw, he was healed. The Bible says that he saw that he was healed. Now, the others no doubt knew that they were healed. But there's something different here. I don't know Greek, but I looked into this a little bit. The Greek word here is aido. It actually means to know or to see or to perceive. This one leper, this one leper took time to note that he'd been blessed. He realized that something wonderful had happened to him. He was sensitive at that point. He was sensitive to the power of Christ working in his life. And his perception actually changed. His, it entirely changed his perception. When he saw. Doesn't say that about the other nine. Just that one. There's an old Jewish tale that illustrates this point. There's a man who goes to the rabbi and complains. He says, life is unbearable. There's nine of us in our family living in one room. What can I do? The rabbi answers, take your goat into the room with you. (laughs) The man says, what? And he's skeptical and he says, my goat... And even though he's skeptical, the rabbi insists, do as I say and come back in a week. Well, a week later the man comes back looking more distraught than ever before. He said, we can't stand it. How can a goat with nine of us in the, in the house? And then the rabbi says to him, okay, go home and let the goat out and come back in a week. A week later the, this man returns and he's radiant. And he says, life is beautiful without the goat. We enjoy every minute of life now, now that there's only the nine of us. (laughs) The situation was the same as it first was. But now his perception had changed. Listen, 
he realized that he'd been blessed to begin with. He was able to see, much like the leper who saw that he was healed. Can you see that? Do you see how that happens? Do we really, do we really perceive, do we really see as Christians the ways that God has blessed us? Some of the most thankful and powerful Christians I know are the ones who've been saved from horrible, sin-controlled pasts. They seem to be able to truly understand and appreciate the grace of God. Well, here's the kicker. Here's the truth. The truth is all of us have been saved from horrible, sin-controlled pasts. And all of us should understand and appreciate God's grace. All of us should be driven to express our thankfulness to Jesus. May I remind you that not one of us here today is hungry, truly hungry. Not one of us is naked without clothes. Not one of us is truly homeless. In verse 16 he says, He threw himself at Jesus' feet, thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. I'd like to come back to that verse in a moment. And then... Jesus asked, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? In verse 17, only one returns to give thanks. They were all cured of leprosy, a dreaded disease. How could they not return to give God thanks? You know, when we live our lives with ungrateful attitudes, we do the very same thing. When was the last time you honestly thanked God? For sending Jesus to be your Savior. See, don't forget that we too were outcasts from the kingdom of God. On our way to certain death. But then we had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And we should never look back on the pleasures of sin. We should never forget where the Lord has brought us from. Okay, so we need to thank God for what He's done. Psalm 106, Praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good as love endures forever. Now in light of this passage, I want to make quick three points about thankfulness. Number one, there are no good excuses for unthankfulness, so stop making excuses. Stop making excuses. We as Americans love to make excuses. After all, nothing is ever our fault. No one in jail has ever committed a crime. It was always someone else's fault. When a a little child gets in trouble, they'll always try to blame it on another person. When a politician gets in in a bind, they'll always find something or someone else to pin the blame on. We're, We're good at making excuses. It's my parents' fault. If only I had better parents, or if only they were wealthier. It's all because of my spouse. If I had a a different spouse, I'd be much happier. It's because of my children. They make me unhappy. I'd be happy if it weren't for them. Oh, we love to, to play this blame game. And I've been amazed at how quick the leadership of our country blames others for the financial mess that we're in. Democrats are quick to blame Republicans. Republicans are quick to blame Democrats. And now it seems that we're all blaming our own financial crisis on the European debt crisis. Oh, it's those guys over there. You know, they, they did it. Come on. That's a bunch of baloney. That's a bunch of baloney. We made these decisions. We got ourselves into this mess. 
We love making excuses for not doing the things we should, but those excuses do not fly with Jesus. When the, when the, 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 the one truly thankful leper came back to Jesus, Jesus honored him. However, Jesus did ask, where are the other nine? Isn't that interesting? See, Jesus expected every one of them to be thankful. And he expects thankfulness and the attitude of gratitude today from all of us who have been healed also. We need to stop making excuses, stop taking the grace of God for granted. And yes, we need to work, work at being more thankful. Listen to this verse in Colossians 2. It says this. So then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in your faith as you were taught. And then it says, and overflowing with thankfulness. That's how we should live. Number two, everyone has something to be thankful for, so give thanks in all circumstances. In all circumstances. First Thessalonians five sixteen through 18, the passage I'd like the kids to memorize. An easy way to do that, parents, is just at the dinner table. Just kind of review that verse. Uh, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's neat. Give thanks in all circumstances. Not for all, but in all circumstances. I, I came across the newspaper article I'd like to share. St. Petersburg Times. Um, and in this article, some of the local children made out a list of what they were thankful for. Here's, here's some of... Um, the highlights of that article. Local children and uh, what they're thankful for. I'm thankful for my family because they love me and give me food. Andrew, age 10. That's pretty good. <laughs> I'm thankful for flowers and trees. Oh, so tall. For our van to go places, especially the mall. <laughs> That's Victoria, age 9. A little creative there. I'm thankful for our furry little squirrels that bring great happiness to our lives. <laughs> Ryan, age seven, said that. Maria, age five. I'm thankful for Thanksgiving because I like to eat ham. Now she's thinking like I do. Here's one. I'm thankful. This is uh, Anastasia, uh, uh, age ten. She says this. I'm thankful that my dad has a permanent job and my brother is in remission from leukemia. And a little girl, Natalie, age 10, says this. you got to listen to this one. She says, I'm thankful for Thanksgiving because it's a happy holiday. And it's when families get together to have a time to, of celebrating God's goodness. The pilgrims are a good example to me because no matter how hard things go, God is always with you and will provide for all your needs. When God provided for them, they did not forget Him, but praised Him with Thanksgiving. What a great summary of Thanksgiving. This little girl, 10 years old, she's got it. She's got it. And I hope you're as impressed as I am with the wisdom shown by that little girl. She truly understands what, what God wants. God wants us to be thankful in all circumstances. Because we always have something to be thankful for. If we call ourselves Christians, we have even more than most to be thankful for. Jesus Christ came to earth to take our place... On the cross, we should have gone to the cross to pay for the penalty of our sins, but the blame 
was placed on the blameless Son of God, Jesus Christ, that we might live. And now all we have to do is believe and trust in Him as our Lord and Savior. And our slate is wiped clean and our sins are forgiven. We sing that song, God made Him who had no sin to be sin, what? For us, that we might become the righteousness of God. That's it. That's it. We have everything in the world to be thankful for. We don't have to pay the price of death. Jesus already did that. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift, it says in 2 Corinthians 9.15. And that is the truth of it. That one act should be enough to make us thankful all the days of our lives. Think about it this way. If you have food in the refrigerator, clothes on your back, and a roof over your head, and a place to sleep, you're richer than 75% of the world. If you have money in your bank, in your wallet, and spare change in some, some place, you're among the top 8% of the world's wealthiest. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you are blessed than more than a million who will not survive this week. If you've never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture, or the pangs of starvation, you're ahead of 500 million people in the world. If you can attend church meetings without fear of harassment, arrest, torture, or death, you are more blessed than 3 billion in the world today. And if your parents are still alive and still married, you're very rare, even in the United States. See, I don't think I need to go any further. We're we're blessed. We're a blessed people. We're a blessed people with much to be thankful for. So give God thanks in all circumstances. And lastly, um, of all people, Christians should be thankful, so express it. One of the um, surveys I found, and you can go online and find these. uh, This is the Gallup report. Barna has some also, but... Reports that 84% of Americans claim to be Christians. And of those 84, less than 10% of Americans are deeply committed Christians. So 84 claim, less than 10% are deeply committed. These committed Christians are far, far happier than the rest of the population. Committed Christians are, are more accepting of others than the average American, more involved in charitable activities, and are absolutely committed to prayer. While many more Americans than this 10% profess to be Christian, most actually know little or nothing of Christian beliefs and act, listen to this, and act no differently than non-Christians. So what's the problem with this picture? Christians are called to be set apart from the world and yet only 10% of the population is acting that way. This leaves an astounding 74% of Americans that claim to be Christians and yet act no differently than those not claiming to be Christians. Can you see the problem here? Is it any wonder that the church is not growing? And then I want to go back to verse 16. Now I said I'd come back to this verse. He threw himself at Jesus' feet, thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. As Jesus healed these ten lepers, most of them were Jews. They were God-fearing, church-going people like us here today. You could say they belonged to the moral majority. They were known as people of God. 
However, when they were healed, only one leper returned to give thanks, and this leper was a Samaritan. The Samaritans didn't go to church in Jesus' day because they were looked upon as outcasts and, and lowlifes. The church people of the day wanted nothing to do with any of them because they weren't worth the time of one of God's chosen ones. And yet he's the only one who showed thanks. When the church should have been demonstrating thankfulness, the world was actually leading the way. See how that worked? And the same is true today, I'm afraid. Think of some of the Christians you know. I know a lot of Christians who are, quite frankly, mean and bitter. Mean and bitter people. They don't really think about anyone but themselves. In fact, they tend to be kind of proud or arrogant or even rude sometimes. And I'm not trying to point fingers here. I'm just kind of painting a picture of, in, in my perception of what's happening And the problem is that people outside the church are often more pleasant than those who are in it. When it should be the other way around. Christians are meant to demonstrate to the world the things like love, kindness, gentleness, and thankfulness. We're meant to live in such a way that non-believers want what we have. So we need to be thankful. Make sure we express that. And then, as I close... I want to encourage us to do a better job um, to be grateful people. And I want to make one more point here, just in closing. I'd like you to think about something. First of all, we've kind of just said here, God desires us to be thankful because everyone has something to be thankful for. God desires us to be thankful because we're to be an example to the rest of the world of what it means to be thankful. One more thing. We need to thank God for all He's done for us because a a thankful spirit opens the door to a closer relationship with God. After all, it says that in order for us to enter His gates, we must do it with thanksgiving. In Psalm 40, verse 4, Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. And I believe it's it's time for us, the church, to start doing more. Let me just uh, share a closing illustration and we'll be done. This is um, the experience of a a female chaplain. And as chaplain, she encountered many patients. She met this uh, one man who had lost his legs in a car accident. He had to wear a prosthesis, artificial legs. And so uh, it was painful for this man. If his legs grew a little, the prosthesis just wouldn't fit right. And it would cause a lot of pain for this man. He'd have to take painkillers and go through uh, all of that. And we can only imagine how miserable it would have been for this man. But there were people that envied this man. The chaplain met a former doctor who had the lower half of his body amputated because of diabetes. The person wished so much that he could be able to use artificial limbs, even if it hurt, but he couldn't. 
This person said that he would give all the money he had if he could only receive one of his legs back. This person would have to move around in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. Now could you imagine how miserable such a life would be? But there's people who envied this man. The chaplain met a person who was paralyzed from the neck down. This person couldn't even turn his neck from side to side. Someone had to be by the side of this person 24 hours a day and turn his body for him side to side. This made it so difficult for his whole family since someone always needed to be by his side. He envied people who were paralyzed from the waist down. He wished he could move his two arms He envied those people who could ride around in a wheelchair. Could you imagine being paralyzed from the neck down? It's hard to imagine, isn't it? But there were people who envied this person. The chaplain met such a woman. You see, her husband was in a car accident and now suffered brain damage. The woman says, my husband cannot see me, cannot hear me. And even though I'm by his side all day, he doesn't know, he doesn't even know it. I prefer that he was completely paralyzed, but able to respond. The woman said, I don't care if he made a lot of money, I don't care if he could even walk. There's just one thing I want, she said. I want to hear him say, honey. If I could hear that one word, how happy I would be. See, take a look at your lives today. Look at all that you have. You're blessed. You're blessed. For the Christian, Thanksgiving is not a one-day event. Even though we celebrated it last Thursday, Thanksgiving's not over. Every day ought to be a day of Thanksgiving. I, I don't know how you entered this church today. I don't know what kind of attitude you came into church with today. I don't know what was on your heart as you came in here. But as we leave today, can we leave with our hearts full of thanksgiving and praise? Can we do that together? Can we leave here with joyful hearts, with our hearts full of thanksgiving and praise for what God's already done and all the wonderful blessings that we have? Could we begin a journey together as a church? It's a journey of learning to give thanks to God. May we learn to thank Him every day for the rest of our lives. During your communion today, ask yourself if Jesus is Lord of your life, Master of all that you are, and if not, now is the time to remake that commitment. The emblems, the bread, and the juice, they represent Christ's body that was broken, His blood that was shed. They're meant to be a reminder of what Jesus did for us on Calvary. And it's through his death, his burial, and resurrection that he's made it possible for us to have a relationship with the Father. And our time of communion is open to everyone who surrendered his or her life to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your words and how they challenge us. Lord, would you help us to be like more like that uh, one leper who did return to give you thanks. Father, we have so much to be thankful for. Ultimately and mostly, Lord, we have uh, your Son 
and his death on the cross to be thankful for. We're so grateful for salvation through Jesus Christ. Father, we want to live that way. May you receive all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.